This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman, bringing clarity to Washington, D.C. news. We see corruption at every level in Washington. Exposing the deception plaguing our nation's capital. Not only what he told every Republican senator, but what he told the press over and over and over again was a simple lie and helping Christians stay informed about government. This puts a bigger burden on voters to go figure out what's actually going on. This is Exposing Washington with Walker Wildman on American Family Radio. President Trump, he continues to stack up victories. President Trump and victories seem to be unending here. That's what we'll be discussing on the show today. Good afternoon, everyone. Good Saturday afternoon. I hope the weather and everything is is great where you are. I know it is here in northeast Mississippi. But uh, you're listening to Exposing Washington, and I'm your host, Walker Wildman. If you want to know more about the show today, you can visit AFR.net. AFR.net, that's our website. There you can find a link to the podcast for the show, which is basically the recordings the audio of the show today, you can listen to that anywhere, anytime, so long as you have access to Internet. Uh, the next thing you can do is download the podcast on your smart device. So just go to the, your podcast store on your, on your phone, type in Exposing Washington. My uh, show should pop up, and you can record it there. So if you can't catch the full show this Saturday afternoon, then you can always catch it later uh, at your convenience. Well, President Trump has many haters, and I'm not one of them, but we're going to talk about some of the victories that he has been achieving and his administration has been achieving. And there are a lot of people that go into uh, managing and operating the executive branch and the White House and foreign policy and domestic policy. So President Trump is not solely responsible for a lot of these, this good news coming out of Washington, but he is kind of the leader of it. He and his administration, those working under him, most of them, are working to advance an America first policy, both here in our country and overseas. And that played out most recently this past, this past Tuesday, I believe. President Trump met with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. And before I get into my thoughts of the summit between President Trump and Kim Jong-un and how that played out, the public perception of it, I just cannot talk about this without mentioning how brutal of a dictator Kim Jong-un is. This is the guy that kills his own family to maintain power. He kills countless North Korean citizens to maintain power. Who knows how many thousands of North Koreans are imprisoned over there unjustly simply because they don't like the leader? Who knows? But this guy is a spawn of Satan. And so setting the context here, you know, President Trump is not meeting with, you know, Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel are, you know, some foreign dignitary that deserves respect. I mean, this guy's sick. That being said, I think President Trump 
Meeting with him was good. I think it was. Because here's our two options here. We can either go to war with North Korea, which I don't think anybody wants, or we can try to work out some kind of deal with North Korea and avoid war. Those are the two options in essence. I maybe oversimplified it, but those are the two options. And for those of you who are tired of fighting foreign wars, overseas wars, at the expense of American lives, raise your hand. And I'm one of them. I'm tired of fighting other people's wars and putting our men and women in uniform in danger for other, other countries' interest. Now, I understand we have allies overseas and we need to protect and defend our allies. I understand all that. But, but these unending wars like Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, it's time to stop this. I think we need to have a foreign policy, and President Trump's doing this, that we go to war if we are directly impacted, if our national security is directly impacted. So that's my, my 10 cents on that subject. But nonetheless, President Trump met with Kim Jong-un, North Korean dictator, and to his credit, he has been able to do, that is President Trump, he has been able to do in 18 months what others have tried to do for the last 60 years. And so that is good news. Now, I am skeptical of North Korea because they never keep their word. They always say, we'll denuclearize, we'll calm down, and then they never do. And oftentimes the U.S. and other countries have bribed them to stop the threats, and they get the money, and then they keep on the threats, and they ha- there's no punishment. But I think President Trump is serious about North Korea denuclearizing. And I believe that if North Korea tries to stiff-arm us, the U.S., or if they try to maneuver us and mislead us, then I think the U.S. will go to war with North Korea. Because President Trump has too big of an ego to let Kim Jong-un absolutely and utterly embarrass him and the whole country of the United States of America without punishment. So, that being said, I think Kim Jong-un will keep his word with President Trump, whatever they come to an agreement on. I was uncomfortable with, if you watch the summit between Kim Jong-un and President Trump, I was uncomfortable with the warm reception that President Trump gave Kim Jong-un there on camera in front of the whole world. He patted him on the back, gave him a nice handshake, smiles, hugs, as if this guy's his best friend. And he's not. Now, I will say, some, uh, some cited it as the charm offensive, meaning he's trying to charm our, his enemy and to going along with the United States foreign policy. And that may be true, but I'm just telling you, as, a, as a, an American citizen watching our president overseas, that nice, you know, handshake, pat on the back, smile, this is a great guy, uh, I don't think so. But President Trump has done a lot of good things, this all being said. But 
If the U.S. can have robust verification that North Korea has given up its nukes, then I think it can be a historic diplomatic victory for President Trump. I think it can. And also, I wanted to mention that President Trump should not have said this. After the summit, he said something to the extent of Kim Jong-un loves his people. No, he doesn't. He kills them. And he starves them to death. Kim Jong-un does not love his people. He may love his military commanders and those who are loyal to him, but he does not love his people. So those are a couple things that I didn't like on behalf of President Trump. And I mostly like what President Trump's doing. I don't come on the show and bash President Trump every week. Oftentimes I defend him, and I'm going to keep defending him on this show when he's right. But I'm just letting you know, those are my gut feelings as I'm watching this summit. But moving on, I want to play clip one. This is Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, and he is commenting on MSNBC about the, about the summit, his thoughts on it, blah, blah, blah. But then he gets in to the Senate's role in the agreement between President Trump and North Korea. Let's listen. Where's the beef? Because so far mm-hmm. we didn't hear anything about a timetable, and we all right. know the North right. Koreans like to run out the clock and stall and pretend they're going to denuclearize Absolutely. and then blow it off. So, I mean, you are, you are t- you're a hardliner on North Korea. Don't you yeah. want to see the details? Oh, absolutely. Not only do I want to see the details, I want to vote on them. So here's what I would tell President Trump. I stand with you. Uh, The Schumer letter detailing what a good deal would look like, I embrace. But anything you negotiate with North Korea will have to come to the Congress for our approval. Well, that's Senator Lindsey Graham out of South Carolina. And before we move on to the next topic, I I just want to say this. Here's my instinct on that. There is no way I would let the bozo clowns in Washington, D.C. vote on the North Korean deal. Well, Walker, you know the Constitution says that all treaties and agreements have to go through Congress, blah, 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 blah. And I understand that. And I agree with that. I think the Iran deal should have went through Congress. I think these, these, these climate agreements, these garbage climate agreements should go through Congress. But my, I'm just telling you, my instinct is Washington can't do anything right. Congress, even Republicans, can't do anything right. We are heading towards a budget deadline on September 30th of 2018, just a couple months away, and they haven't even gotten a budget ready to go. The the Congress can't even do the basic job of funding our government on time, responsibly. And you think I'm in favor of putting one of the most historic diplomatic decisions in the hands of Congress? No, they are sure to mess it up. They are sure to mess it up. They cannot do anything right. That's my instinct. That's my gut. But constitutionally, Lindsey Graham is correct. Any kind of treaty or major agreement with a foreign country, I believe, I'm not sure of the exact constitutional language, but those treaties do have to be ratified or approved by the U.S. Senate. And so let me just foreshadow how this is going to play out. If President Trump sends some kind of North Korean deal to the Senate to be ratified or approved, it will probably be a train wreck. I hope that's not the case. Hopefully we can get get some Democrats to come along. 
But I'm just telling you, tell me a couple things that Congress has done successful in the past year or two. I can only think of maybe tax reform and confirming President Trump's judges. But that's it. So this all being said, that being said, we will see where it goes. Lindsey Graham wants the Senate to vote on the North Korean deal because the Senate is good at getting things done and good at getting things, uh, getting good things done. And I'm full of sarcasm there. But let's move on to the next topic, and that is this week the Inspector General of the Department of Justice, the watchdog, if you will, of the Department of Justice, has been investigating various matters that occurred under the Obama administration. A few months back, many of you remember, the Inspector General sent a criminal referral to a U.S. prosecutor regarding Andrew McCabe, the former FBI director, regarding him lying under oath. And this past Thursday, the Inspector General released another report regarding the Clinton email probe, the Hillary Clinton email investigation, and how James Comey and Andrew McCabe handled it. They were the top two guys at the FBI during the Clinton investigation. So this report has been released, and there was a delay in the release of the report. It was supposed to be released a couple weeks ago. As a matter of fact, the Inspector General Michael Horowitz said last year that the report would be released in late winter, this is a quote, late winter or early spring of 2018. Well, it did not get released then, obviously, because we're in June of 2018 and it just now got released. I have no evidence to prove this, but I am very, very suspicious that there was some last-minute changes made to the Inspector General's report. Well, Walker, why would you say such? Aren't these men of integrity? Aren't these departments full of men with integrity who always do the right thing and adhere to the Constitution? Well, in some cases, but not all cases. I don't know why else there was such a delay in releasing this report which is supposed to be and is damning to Hillary Clinton and to James Comey. My gut instinct after watching how the Clintons operate historically over the last few decades, there was probably some uh, shenanigans going on with this report, meaning they were changing the report to not reflect so badly on Hillary Clinton or James Comey. I cannot prove that right now. Maybe it'll come out later, but that's just my gut instinct. And so the delay in the release of this report was suspicious at best. But the report, in essence, reaffirms what I've already said and what others have already said. And that is that James Comey, the former FBI director who has since been fired by President Trump, he had no business deciding the legal fate of Hillary Clinton. This should have been decided by a prosecutor. And let's do a flashback. Let's call this Flashback Saturday. And I'm going to play clip two here. And this is James Comey back in 2016, I believe. And this is him exonerating Hillary Clinton. And when I say exonerating, I say that lightly. Let's listen. Although there is evidence of potential violations 
of the statutes regarding the handling of classified information, our judgment is that no reasonable prosecutor would bring such a case. Prosecutors necessarily weigh a number of factors before deciding whether to bring charges. There are obvious considerations like the strength of the evidence, especially regarding intent. Responsible decisions also consider the context of a person's actions and how similar situations have been handled in the past. In looking back at our investigations into the mishandling or removal of classified information, we cannot find a case that would support bringing criminal charges on these facts. That's a flashback of James Comey, the then FBI director, Federal Bureau of Investigation director under President Obama. That was that all remembering, if that's a proper word, that's the, that's the press conference that we all remember. We all remember that day in July of 2016, James Comey walks out to the podium, all the, the major networks are covering it, and he gives this like 20-minute speech on how Hillary Clinton broke all these laws. And then he concludes by saying, but no reasonable prosecutor would bring charges against Miss Clinton. Well, you know what, James Comey, if I was a prosecutor, I would bring charges on Hillary Clinton in a heartbeat. And here's why. James Comey, during that press conference, got into all of the garbage, to put it nicely. It was He was saying, oh, you know, I don't know if she really meant to do this. We couldn't find intent there. And, you know, there's a difference between someone intentionally doing it and someone not intentionally doing it. And it's all about how much classified information was uh, was handed out uh, in, in this investigation. But but see, here's the thing. If 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 our justice system solely judges on intent, well, then we, we can all get out scot free. We can all just say. Well, you know, I really didn't mean to. You know, I really didn't mean to murder that guy the other day, and I didn't mean to rob the bank, and I didn't mean to go over the speed limit, and I didn't mean to not pay my taxes. So if you can't find intent there, then you know what? Just just let us off the hook. No. The law is clear. If you break the law, whether you mean to or not, then you've broken the law. Now, granted... Someone can innocently go over the speed limit because they they legitimately didn't know the speed limit. But they're still eligible for a ticket. Now the cop may let him off the hook because he feels bad for him. They didn't know the speed limit. They're new in town. They're traveling. Okay. But if the cop wants to give them a ticket, he is within his legal means to give them a ticket. And so intent should not should not be the basis on whether charges are brought. But I would argue that intent was there with Hillary Clinton setting up her private email server in the bathroom of her New York home. There was intent there, my friends. Because do you know how many steps that had to be taken to get that server set up while she's Secretary of State in her house in New York? She had to call IT people. She had to call internet providers. She had to order servers. She had to log into the email account on her phone. I mean, there's like got to be like a hundred different actions taken 
that proved that your intent was to set up a private email server while you're serving as the top diplomat of the United States of America. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? There was plenty of intent. Not to mention, the FBI confirmed that multiple foreign actors hacked her account and, and, and viewed classified documents while she's Secretary of State. I mean, this is absolutely baffling. And, you know, here's what I should think. Here's what I think should be done since you asked. <laughs> I think we need to totally reopen the Clinton investigation into her private email server. Well, Walker, hasn't that case already been settled? Can you reopen that investigation? Oh, yes, sir, you can. And here's how. And here's why. One of the top honchos heading up the Clinton email investigation was a Trump hater and a Hillary lover. Well, how do you know that, Walker? Well, let's go to the Washington Post. You know that old trustworthy news outlet? Tongue-in-cheek there. No, seriously, let's go to the Washington Post. This 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 uh, was released. Uh, this was released June 14th. On uh, this was released June 14th from the Washington Post. I'll post this on my podcast page at afr.net. A link to this news story. But the the fellow by the name of Peter Strzok, who is heading up the Clinton email investigation, he's a key figure in the Clinton email investigation. Here is what he texts to his lover, also an FBI employee, or a Department of Justice employee. Here's what he texts his lover back in August of 2016 before the election. His lover, by the name of Lisa Page, an attorney with the Department of Justice, she texts Peter Strzok and she said, Trump's not ever going to become president, right? Right? Question mark, exclamation point. Then guess what Peter Strzok texts back? Quote, no, period, no, he won't. We will stop it. That's what Peter Strzok told his lover, Lisa Page, about President Trump, then-candidate Trump, becoming president. She said, are we going to let it happen? And he said, no, no, we will not let it happen. We will stop it. So let's put two and two together. If you have Peter Strzok, the Hillary Clinton lover, leading the investigation into Hillary Clinton, then that whole investigation is tainted. That whole investigation is invalid because you had someone with a political motive to not let Donald Trump win investigating Hillary Clinton. So how is that important? That is important because the Hillary Clinton supporter in Peter Strzok is not going to recommend indictment of the, of the presidential candidate that he loves. That's like one plus one equals two. So how can you trust the integrity of the investigation when it's being headed up and maneuvered by someone like Peter Strzok? That is why I say that the Hillary Clinton investigation needs a second look. It needs to be looked at by someone who is not in love with Hillary Clinton, like obviously Peter Strzok is. But let's move on topics real quick as we wrap up the show. I want to play clip three, and, and Catherine Herridge at Fox News is going to set this up. But Catherine Herridge 
is talking about the Deputy Attorney General stonewalling Congress and other topics related to Congress and the Department of Justice. Let's listen. In this letter to the Deputy Attorney General, the Republican chairman of the House Intelligence Committee sets a deadline for tomorrow to receive records about that alleged FBI confidential human source that was used in the early stages of the Russia investigation. These records were requested in April and now the subject of a congressional subpoena. The Nunes letter to Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein said the record should be available to all members and staffers on the House Intelligence Committee and not limited to the congressional leadership known as the Gang of Eight. The letter reads in part, quote, your continued refusal to permit members of Congress and designated staff to review the requested documents is obstruction of a lawful congressional investigation. Any response falling short of this request will be considered an effort to conceal material information from Congress, a dangerous precedent that threatens the core of our democracy. At his weekly news conference last week, the House Speaker said the onus when it comes to these records is on the Justice Department. So it is our job to conduct oversight. And so that is why you've seen frustration. Frustration by me, frustration by Chairman Nunes, frustration by a lot of our members that the foot dragging by the Department of Justice uh, should not be tolerated. This morning, a senior Justice Department official said the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, FBI Director Christopher Wray, and the nation's intelligence chief, the Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats, look forward to briefing congressional leadership scheduled for this Thursday, which is two days after the congressional deadline. You know what I say? I say enough meetings, enough briefings. Let's release the documents. If you have been keeping up with this, which I hope you have, the Republicans in Congress have been trying to receive documents from the Department of Justice regarding the investigation into President Trump's campaign. Specifically the fact that there have been reports that the FBI had had a spy planted in the Trump campaign during the campaign. So that is the context of the Catherine Herridge report. Congress, under its constitutional authority, is trying to get documents... From, from the Department of Justice so they can fully understand what is going on here. And the Department of Justice, under President Trump's authority, is stonewalling Congress. And so last week, over the last two weeks, I talked about the four pillars of, uh, of the swamp. And the four pillars of the swamp, one of them being the executive branch. Yes, the executive branch under President Trump. It's not his fault. But even some of his agencies and some of his employees are stonewalling Congress and preventing the truth from coming out. And so the swamp, the deep state, the liberals, those who don't like our country, are busy at work in Washington, D.C., trying to thwart the will of the American people and stop the truth from coming out. But let me end things on an encouraging note. The American people must continue to stay informed. And that's our goal here on the show. If we are informed, then we can continue to work in taking our country back. And it is a long process, but the fight must continue. And as our own Brian Fisher says, it is a winnable war. Thank you all for joining Exposing Washington this Saturday afternoon. We'll be back next week on the American Family Radio Network. Talk to you then.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.